Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on NBA tickets, all you have to do is use promo code BSNBA. NBA is heating up. There's lots of fun games to go see in person. Use that code. Use it for the holidays. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. We're also brought to you by Go90. From my friend Peter Berg, the creator of Friday Night Lights, comes QB1, a series that takes you inside the lives of the nation's top high school quarterbacks. That is the true story of high school football in America, told through the eyes of the nation's top prospects. Watch QB1. Every episode streaming online, just go to go90.show slash BS. As always, we're brought to you by TheRinger.com, where usually I have a column every Friday. This week, I do not, but we have a lot of great stuff on there, including uh, Star Wars stuff, best of 2017, a really great co- uh, piece about Victor Oladipo that hopefully Kevin O'Connor can call in and, uh, and talk about a little bit later, and, uh, and a whole bunch of stuff in The Ringer Podcast Network, we should also mention the JJ Reddick podcast, which we launched a couple weeks ago. They have Carl Anthony Towns is on that one this week. Uh, the rewatchables. We did one with Zodiac. Most important, um, cousin Sal's against all odds podcast. He made me come on super Dave Osborne was the guest. And it's the second hardest that I've laughed during a podcast with the number one being, uh, when Brad Mulcahy was on Brad's podcast. So, Basically, the two funniest podcasts I've ever been involved with um, were not mine. So it was a little bit of an ego blow. But uh, Super Dave is is just incredible. He's, he's flat out incredible. I highly recommend listening to that one if you want to uh, have a couple laughs. He's one of a kind. Anyway, a bunch of good stuff coming up. First, Pearl Jam. All right, it's a Friday morning. Uh, my dad is in town. He just turned 70 a couple weeks ago, the host of the Blue Plate Special on the Ringer Podcast Network, which we haven't actually launched yet. Still not a lot of sponsor interest. There's no reason to keep mentioning my my age, by the way. <laughs> well, he turned 70. What do you want from me? Um, we're going to have Kevin O'Connor is going to come on from the Ringer a little bit later to talk some hoops. And I might pull Kevin Clark from the Ringer and from the Ringer NFL show. It could be an all-Kevin show coming up uh, later. But wanted to talk about 2017 and also uh, 70 years and also almost 50 years in Boston, right? 1969? Well, went to Holy Cross in 1965. So certainly in the Boston area. Massachusetts, 52 years. I don't want to ask you about the Crusaders because you're going to be politically correct about it and you'll, you won't actually give an answer. I am very much hoping they leave that name alone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We were talking about it in the car last night. I always thought the Crusader was just, I never thought about it. I always thought it was just a guy on a horse <laughs> with a sword and we just crusaded for stuff. Well, w- when I was at Holy Cross, I, I really just thought it had to do with going forth and doing good deeds on behalf of people. Oh, I, I that's never, a good interpretation. I, I never put any... Uh, connection to the Inquisition or all the things that are coming out now. Are you going to um, 
like it when they're called the Worcester Hills in two years? Because I think that's where we're headed. I'm not because it. one of the hardest things about going to Holy Cross is that you're in the city of Worcester. So I'm not going <laughs> to like that connection. It's Anaheim without the Disney, without uh, Disney. Uh, let's talk about 2017 first. The year started, Nephew Kyle is here producing this actually. We we were all together in my house in February and the Pats were down 28 to three at halftime and we all switched seats. And I feel like that has not gotten enough attention. But as like we were, people talk about Brady, the people who are on the field. I always feel like it was the people in that living room that really made a difference. I, I would like some credit. But I, I think part of the problem was your nephew Kyle was sitting in the wrong seat. He was. And I, I think he was feeling himself a little bit too and, much. And finally we moved him, which was not easy. So give me your give me your top ten Boston memories right now. Um of just greatest games, your greatest wins. In in any sport whatsoever? Yeah. Fit, f- we're talking going back to the first title when you were carrying me into games when I was four. So nineteen seventy four Celtics. Going on there, all the like your favorite ones just off the top of your head. Well, my two favorite Celtic seasons and titles, 1981, when this, uh, we came back down three to one against Philadelphia. Yeah. That's probably number one. Right. And uh, certainly the 86 season, but that was different because really we, we never worried about Houston in yeah. the finals. So. We never worried about anybody. No, not really. So I'd say the 80, 81 Celtic season because to overcome a 3-1 lead, you know, it looked insurmountable. Which segues me to maybe probably my number one sports comeback memory of all time is obviously the 04 Sox. And we um, were there for four and five. We went to four and five. Uh, we actually went to three, four and five. I blocked out three. I forgot we were right, there. We, we were there. Saturday night. That was miserable. There was a constant to all three games. They all got over about one thirty in the morning or two in the morning. Yeah. They had drizzling, freezing rain during all three games. I like how you've exaggerated that at two in the morning. I think only one of them was past like one well, in the morning. That's my it mem- felt like two in the morning. That's my memory. Remember, I'm 70 years old. Yeah. Um, but those, those, the two games that we won, I mean. The back-to-backers. The back-to-backers. Yeah. I agree. That's my number one too. Number one. Plus there was that period where you wanted to leave and I had to talk you into staying. That's again, revisionist history. <laughs> so You made me watch Dave Roberts in the tunnel. <laughs> Although we saw the steal from the tunnel. We I wrote the, about this in my Red Sox book. We saw the steal on, on the TV. We never left. We were kind of, that was what, that was what I ended up writing about was it was like a classic Red Sox fan moment where we knew the game was over, but we also were still holding on hope that the game wasn't over. And we were in this tunnel watching the game, but ready to leave. That That's and, a classic way of watching the Red Sox until 2004, you're right. Yeah, you, I mean, you think about it. I said this to Jacko on Wednesday's podcast, if the Mike Stanton thing had happened in like 2002 or to Giancarlo Stanton, sorry, in 2002, 2003, we would have been catatonic for like a month that the Yankees got this guy who had 59 homers last year and we didn't. And now it's like after the three world series and I, baseball in general, I, I don't think has, feels quite as important as it was 15 years ago, but um, it's, it's nice to have that kind of stuff just roll off us now. If we hadn't, won three titles in since 2004. It would not th- have rolled off. We'd be feeling very differently about the way that Derek Jeter probably criminally gave away Stanton to his former team, the Yankees. 
Yeah, I was listening to uh, my old friend Dan Levitard's show the other day, and he was trying to get Rob Manfred on the show, the the baseball commissioner. Oh, interesting. And he's just so upset, and he's like, Jeter just gutted baseball in South Florida, and we've already been through this twice, and you promised us this wouldn't happen again, and now it's happening again. Well, I wish he had gotten him on because, for me, it equates to when David Stern vetoed the trades that were occurring. When he, well, yeah, when he was, yeah. the league owned the team that made the and, trade. And Manfred, I think, should have done the same thing on this Jeter giveaway. Um, I watched Jeter in the stands when the Celtics played Miami the other night, and uh, nobody around him looked very happy that he was sitting in the stands. No, uh, I agree. So, Yeah, he uh, he's basically a pariah. In in but anyway back to the all uh, right back to back to right. the greatest ones I agree on the Red Sox it's, I still feel like even though we didn't win the title in '87 the game when Bird stole the ball um, is well you mentioned '81 the Sixers coming back from three one when we were there for Game Seven right that's my favorite basketball memory it's, even though that was the Eastern Finals like that's the happiest crowd I've ever happiest been in. crowd you and I walking out of there me dropping. Of course, there's that element of right after the game, I dropped you off at my uncle at my your, 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 your uncle brother's Chuck's, trucks. Yeah, which was in retrospect probably not a great thing to do. But I think you had a date. You no, did, I was no, getting I dropped to, off at a seedy apartment no, in Austin. I, I had to go speak at a retirement there. Uh, yeah, but I remember leaving that game, and that was the only time when nobody left. Everyone right. was just on the street celebrating right. like uh, like it was Mardi Gras or something. Right. That was the happiest. The craziest game I think we ever went to was the uh, Bird Steals the Ball. It, it was, and it was The so, most intense, because that also had the Lambeer fight with Parrish. And, and that game and, uh, looked like it should have been over. All this stuff. Yeah. Um, um, plus, you and I were never big Isaiah Thomas fans. I, I know that you and he are friendlier now, but let, let's admit that during the years that he played, we really didn't care for him. And well, for him to throw away that ball was exciting. We hated Lambeer the most. We did, yep. Lambeer, that game when Parrish punched him, um, the crowd really willed it to happen. I still feel like I ha I take credit in that. Um, well, the other, and nothing happened to Parrish. No, he, got, he stayed he, in the game. He didn't even get thrown out of the game. He stayed in the game. Yeah. It was incredible. Um the, uh, that was probably my favorite one. And then just favorite TV experience was probably probably uh, the Pat Super Bowl. Well, I was going to say my my if you my next favorite uh, next favorite uh, sporting event was certainly uh, the first Super Bowl victory for the Patriots. The first one, yeah, the yeah, first yeah. one. They, we weren't together for that. No, one. No, you were there alone. You, I, I wanted to go, and somehow you didn't get me a ticket. <laughs> uh, I've always regretted not being there, and that's when you wrote that great article. Uh, now I can die in peace, in in the fifth floor of our house. No, no, no. no, no. You're mixing up oh, games. Mixing them up. Okay. That was a seven year old moment right there. Okay, okay. No, that that article actually is the most the proudest I've ever been of anything I've written is the Super Bowl 36 one because I wrote half of it or two thirds of it and then went out to Bourbon Street and celebrated with my Pats fans friends and had like three or four hurricanes and, and then, then came back the and article. finished it Hunter Thompson style, <laughs> which is the only time that's... Uh, it's still an article that people mentioned to me. The two, the two hardest ones I ever wrote were that one and the article after game five 
of the, the of the 2004 ALCS. The Red Sox. That's because we you, were we were so cold and drained, right. and and it was the game the ended morning. late. Yeah, um, the game ended. The game ended. Uh, I forget when, but we right. just it just felt like we had been up for two straight days, and we right. were freezing and right. so emotionally drained. And then on top of it, um, we had another game the next day, and it was like either I wrote the column that night or there was no reason to write it because by the time it went up the next day, the game would have been like two hours away. So it was like, Oh God, I got to stay up till five 30 in the morning. And it was, that was the hardest one I've written. I, that one still holds up. I still, I'm still proud of that one. Yeah. Um, you should be. The, the now I can die in peace one is probably a little too, little too rambling and long, but I think being drunk made have been a better problem <laughs> with it. Cause I remember waking up at like nine o'clock the next morning and, um, and kind of waking up being like, what time is it? And then going, Oh shit, I had I hinted in a column last night. And then calling my editor, I was like, Was that column already? He's like, Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I had no idea. Well, you know, when I, that eighty one uh Philly Celtics thing, the, even though it's it's my best Celtic memory, it's a little different, obviously, than the Red Sox in 04. Um that was the, the number one. Cause that yeah. had the whole plot with like right. both you and me, and you're older than me, but just like you and know, the, this needs to happen before I die. Basically. And the Celtics had won before and yeah. they're, they're going to win again. But the Red Sox just felt like it was right. never going to happen. The Super Bowl, the one that. Uh, 36. That we inexplicably came back against. Uh, oh, the Falcons. The Falcons. No, the. Uh, when we won. Which one? The one that we You're won. You're getting our five Super Bowls mixed up. The first one. Uh, 36 against yeah. the Rams. Yeah, the Rams. Um Neither one of us ever expected that we were going to win that game. Well, so the 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 one, the sneaky one that people forget now is the snow game because that was the game the Patriots had lost for my entire right. life. And, you know, it's just ironic what's happened with uh, the Pats over the last 17 years because they were the all-time sad sack franchise. It's like how people think of the Browns right now is what I grew up with. Right. and we were just terrible and everything went wrong and we had two good seasons and 28 bad ones basically. And then to have that flip um, in the snow game, the, the game snow that game. we would have lost over the tuck roll. It's like, Oh man. Right. And then Brady sucks the next year. And then it's like, I oh, remember that 10 weeks where Brady was good. And there were, you could kind of see the whole, the whole lot dotted line for what the next decade was going to be like. And then it flips on that call, which it's still a ridiculous call. He definitely, he definitely fumbled. There's no question he yeah, fumbled. I watched it recently because they, yeah. they seem because I watched it this week because of the snow game in Buffalo, and uh, Ben and Terry missed the field goal. Yeah. So one of the uh, stations showed missing that field goal last weekend, yeah. and then him making the field goal when he played for the Patriots. Right. And uh, it was they were both extremely difficult. Fortunately, he made ours. The first one in the snow where the ball didn't go more than eight feet high. Right. And nobody blocked it somehow. I'll never understand that. I don't understand how one person would get a hand. But the sneaky part of that game and the one that I always argue with Lombardi about, the Raiders, we never should have gotten the ball back in regulation. The Raiders, Charlie Gardner ran for like eight yards and it was second and two. And they just needed, they basically had three plays for two yards and the game's over. And somebody fell down on one of them and we stuffed them and it was fourth and one and they just decided to punt. But the game, second and two and you need three plays for two yards, you should go to the next round. Right, right. 
Um, but it was just one of those games. And what was cool was that was the last game for that stadium, which was the biggest piece of shit, worst structure in the history of uh, probably East Coast sports. And it ended up being this joyous occasion where people are throwing snowballs. But that that place had so many dark memories. Well, I, I don't think people can appreciate now, 17 years later after this Patriots run, how many difficult, terrible games we lost where we felt we're we should have won. I mean, we still, you and I still talk about the Sugar Sugar Bear Hamilton. Yeah, that that's why I don't feel bad at the snow game. Yeah. Because we got we, screwed we in owed. 1976. We yeah. were owed. But we lost, I mean, over and over again, we'd lose to Miami every year right. and we'd lose to Denver every year and we the team just sucked. Right. And but that's, it, I empathize with the Jets fans and the Browns fans because we've... The other nice thing in 2001 when we won that game... Uh, the entire country liked us at that, for winning that game. Yeah, there we, were, were, we were the underdogs. We came back against the uh, greatest show on earth, and and look what's happened seventeen years later. Well, it flipped within six years because then we're in Arizona six years later for your sixtieth birthday. Oh gosh! And That's, we have the lead with two minutes left, and then the ring gets taken away, and we have all those Giants fans going crazy, and you and I are. It's the fastest I've ever seen you move. <laughs> well, you were like Randy Moss getting out of there. Well, they all, all those giant fans were coming down because they wanted to be part of the celebration. We did not want to be part of the celebration. Well, that was not as bad as what happened the next morning. You, you had booked me on a flight, direct flight, not a direct flight, a flight that went from uh, Arizona to New York to Boston. So, of course, who do you think was on my flight at seven in the morning? A lot of Giants fans. And they had been up all night. And they were drunkenly singing in the plane. And I'm the only Patriot fan there with a Patriot hat on. Uh, that was a terrible memory. Our two, our worst losses of all time, Yankees-Red Sox 1978 playoff game. Yeah, it's popping out. Jim Rice warning track, all, all that stuff. I'm still haunted by it. Um, I would say that one. I would say the too many men in the ice game. I would say... Um, Bird missing the shot in the corner against the Lakers, game four, 87 finals. And I would say super, does Super Bowl 42 against the Giants. That's my Mount Rushmore of most gutting losses. My order would put the uh, Super Bowl certainly way ahead, number one. Interesting. Yeah. Over the over the 78 playoff game. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, 18 and 0, we were making history that year. And there's a little F you with the Spygate. There was a little of that. I was there. I mean, it was yeah. a, it was a great 60th birthday present to be there. It was a great weekend. Uh, great weekend. A lot of people sucking up to you. That's true. Um, the, that was in your your heyday of <laughs> My e heyday e the ESPN. ESPN celebrity. People loved me back then at ESPN. Yeah, and I, I, I would certainly always say... Um, Bill Simmons. You brag about dad, it. Yeah. Just before, before you were like, yeah, that, that guy who got suspended on his dad. You know, we were there, I think we got there Wednesday. There was, yeah. I would say there was not one second during the five days we were there before the game where I gave any thought to the fact that we might lose that game. Not one second. I remember the night before being with my Pat's friends somewhere in Glendale, Arizona until 5.30 in the morning. I, w I wasn't with you. You weren't with me. You no. were asleep. Yeah. But just talking about, it was a foregone conclusion. Like, yeah, yeah we got to blow them out. We got to right. really send a message in this last game, never occurring to us we would lose. Never. You uh, felt it though immediately. 
It was like almost right away. It was it was like, oh man. Right away, is... the thing that worried me in that game was that they were getting to Brady. Uh, our, yeah, up the our middle. offensive line was not holding the middle. Yeah. Um, but that was number one by far. Um, I'm surprised that was number one. Too many far. men in the ice was the game. Now I've written about this, and people thought I made it up, but you were actually an eyewitness. I cried so hard after too many men in the ice that I got a bloody nose all over the couch in your apartment and we had to flip the cushion on it. You did. I it. actually got a bloody nose <laughs> for like a half hour. I, I and I didn't know how to console you. <laughs> I was so upset. <laughs> yeah, blood. I hated the Canadians so much and we had the we uh Rick Middleton had scored with like five minutes left. Well first I, I was, wanted to, that's what I love talking as at much first as I everything. wanted to console you and then I was really upset because you had blood all over my couch. <laughs> You just got it. I think it was, <laughs> it was a almost new a couch. new couch. As a new single guy, I had a new couch. Yeah. Blood, blood all over it. Couldn't console my, my young son. If anyone has a better story than, than <laughs> having a bloody nose gusher for a half hour after a sports <laughs> loss, I'd love to hear. I was so mad. that The, the combo, I think they were within like a few months. The, the, the 78 playoff game was October 78. And I think too many men on the ice was like May 1979. Plus, my parents were getting divorced. I think it all just piled up on me. Well, the other thing that too <laughs> that's many, it. they got a nervous breakdown. We we neither one of us ever liked Guy Lafleur. Oh, and the and, freaking slap shot on Jill Gilbert. I can if I close my eyes, there's probably certain sporting moments I can see visualize yeah. him I, lining I up for that. I can see him lining up undeterred for that slap shot. I can see Bird missing that three-pointer. By an inch. By an inch that should have won us the game. And you can see the Hail Mary for Brady to Moss that he missed by like a half inch in the Giants game. And I can see the ball sticking against that awful guy's helmet. And uh, Harrison Harrison not not being able to get it off. Yeah. So those are things I see when I close my eyes and go to bed at night. We're going to bring in Kevin Clark who has... um, no positive sports memories whatsoever because he's from Orlando. But first, Simply Safe, the holidays can be a crazy time. You want to make sure your home's protected through all of it. What better time to step in with Simply Safe Home Security? Simply Safe has made everything about security effortless for you. You barely have to lift a finger, just order it online. It's delivered right to your door with free shipping. Setup is so easy, it takes less than an hour. A 10-year-old can do this. Best of all, Simply Safe has no long-term contract, no pushy sale guy, sales guys, no hidden fees. You're protecting your whole house for an honest and fair price. Just $15 a month for best in industry, 24-7 alarm monitoring. Right now, for my holidays, my friends at Simply Safe are giving you, my listeners, an incredible offer. $200 off this package. Complete protection for your home, handpicked by me. Go to simplysafebs.com. Simply Safe with two eyes. It's the holidays. These systems will fly off the shelves. Grab one as soon as you can. $200 off. Go to simplysafebs.com. All right, Kevin Clark is here from The Ringer, um, one of the best NFL writers in the country and somebody who um, is not old enough to remember when the Patriots sucked. <laughs> How old were you in 2001? Oh, I was uh, 14. Oh, no. you're old enough. Yeah. No, well, uh, but, no not really, not though, really we because we made the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, no. one of my first, the first Super Bowl I really got into was Packers-Patriots. Right, like so the Cowboys 96. run, I was aware of. Yeah, but really, Packers Patriots was like, okay, I know who the players are. I can identify these. And, and I was at that Packers Patriots. Yeah, you didn't take me. I didn't take you. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and I can still see that guy Desmond get, Howard coming down because I was in that end zone. Yeah, and realizing this is the game is over. Kicking off to Desmond Howard was yeah. a mistake. Um, Kevin, unbiased perspective. 
should we be coming to the grips with the fact that this is probably it for the Patriots <laughs> as a good football team this season? This season. Um, 40-year-old Tom Brady. Um, no Garoppolo now, who is has now become a franchise guy. I'm almost afraid to ask my dad about that. <laughs> um, not- when we were doing the playoff scenarios yesterday, every time I saw a team with San Francisco, I was like, that's that's a loss. And like, imagine thinking that six weeks ago. They're not even, I think they're like one point favorites yeah. against Tennessee. And yeah. it's, I, I I think Tennessee blows. I love Jimmy and it almost seems too easy, but I think he's been, he's probably one of the best nine quarterbacks in the league, right? Right now at the moment. Yes. If you were making a list, who would you take over him? Would you take Mariota over him? At the moment? No. And would we'll you, see that on Sunday. You wouldn't take Jameis over him? No, no. It's no. kind of amazing. Like yeah. I think Watson and Wentz, even though they're hurt, Watson I would take over Jimmy. Yeah. Um, would you yeah. take Case Keenum over him? I'd, I'd have Garoppolo. <laughs> I'm going to take Garoppolo in that spot. Yeah. There's there's not a lot of guys. So this Pats thing, we get we trade Garoppolo, who now looks yeah. like he's going to be really good. Brady looks old in the Miami game. Okay. Yeah. My theory in the Miami game. He's seven and nine in Miami, so it's a it's a trend. It's 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 a house of horrors. No Gronkowski. Which I don't think people, you know, it was funny hearing the announcers not even really talk about it. I, I don't even know if Gruden really had a one minute monologue about it. We don't have Gronkowski. We can't run the ball. We don't have a third and eight guy. You take out Gronkowski and Edelman. There's nowhere to go on any third and eight, which is why they weren't doing the third downs. But, but you and I talked about that game before the game. It was a meaningless game for us. It was because the Pittsburgh game the was The Pittsburgh what game is, you know, it doesn't matter what the records are right now. We beat Pittsburgh. We're in the driver's seat. And we own Pittsburgh. Our only concern going in that game was hopefully Brady didn't get hurt. Right. But from, but like, I didn't expect Brandon Cooks to get completely shut down. Yeah. I mean, completely by some dude I had never really heard of. Some second year random dude. And this guy is like completely annihilating mm. Brandon Cooks. You didn't who we gave expect a first the, the Xavier and Howard Pro Bowl train Not to be rolling that. through. Um, yeah, no, it's it's worrying. But I just think that it's it's like you said, Miami seems to be the anomaly of right. the entire. I mean, he's seven and nine. I mean, that he he became he, he is the Miami Dolphins when he's there. He's seven and nine. That's what yeah. the Miami Dolphins are. Brady is there when he's there. Is seven and nine. Um, do you know that stadium's built on an Indian burial ground? By the way, is it really? Yeah, that explains yeah. a lot of the kooky stuff that's going well, that, on there. I've always thought. I wrote in two thousand nine about the Clippers when they left Buffalo. Yeah, I always thought that was one of one of the reasons the Clippers yeah. curse kicked into it. Nothing I, I totally normal believe happened in that, in that stadium. It's a terrible stadium. It's, it's a terrible place to see a football game. Horrible. So Ke- Kevin's from... Uh, oh, wait. Let's finish the passing oh, really quickly. Yeah. So you feel like, as usual, they have a chance to win a Super I, Bowl, but... I feel like there's two separate things. Could this be the last year the Patriots run? Absolutely. But it's going to be a hell of a run. I think they're set up pretty well. Even if they lose this game, the worst case scenario, just playoff seating wise is they drop out of the bye. And then the Jaguars have the number two seed. They're going to play maybe the Chiefs. Right. And that actually, you might prefer that. It might be, remember when they lost to Buffalo 31 and nothing and they pasted Buffalo 31 and nothing that yeah. in 2003. You kind of get that symmetry again if you play the Chiefs in the first round. You get to crush them, get that, avenge that loss. Then you go to Jacksonville. I understand playing Jacksonville is kind of weird with that defense, but I'd rather play Jacksonville than the Steelers in the second round. I mean, it, it's, it's. Well, it seems like yeah. Fournette's hurt. 
Fournette's hurt. He's playing yeah. hurt, which is good for playing the Jaguars. I'm On the not, other hand, their defense is the kind of defense that has given Brady trouble for the last Boye 12 years. And Ramsey are the two best cornerbacks in the NFL. It's weird. Yeah. But, but they can also get a pass rush. Oh, yeah. That combo is, is dangerous for the Patriots. Yeah. I'm just saying it's not the end of the world if they drop out of the bye. I mean, Jacksonville. Is dropping out of the bye really possible? Yes. It is possible if they. Am I just in denial? If they lose this game and the Jaguars win out, there's a scenario. For sure. Oh my God. I was playing around. I'm, I'm not the Picasso of the playoff machine because you're the you're the Picasso no, of not, the trade I'm, machine. I'm, but not the playoff machine, I'm not. Uh, I'm not any sort of. An no, artist. I mean the, the trade machine. I'm, yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't call myself the Picasso of the trade of the playoff machine. I'm not. I'm not going to infringe on your turf. But I was playing around with the playoff machine, coming up with the different scenarios, and there is a scenario. So we'd have the, the same bar. record as Jacksonville, but they'd have the tiebreaker. Yeah, yeah they have Co- a better uh, conference, conference record. record. Okay, that's conference record. But I got to say, I. I as much as we've made fun of Bortles, <laughs> as quarterbacks keep going down, he's kind of ascended to, yeah. he's definitely like solid mediocre compared to 12 other quarterbacks. Two straight, I still, I'm excited to bet against him in the playoffs, but he's not a train wreck. Two straight weeks of 119 or higher quarterback rating at this point. Yeah, he's... And he's an NFL quarterback, which we couldn't say a couple months ago. Well, he, I think the thing with him was he would have the fall apart play yeah. in a close game, which he was still doing up to a month ago and might do this weekend. But he's been avoiding those and he's been steering the ship. Yeah. And the recipe, as we've talked about all year, is Trent Dilfer in 2000. Right. Can you just be Trent Dilfer? Can Brad you Johnson. just yep. not screw up? But, and that team is pretty good. But if Fournette's hurt, I, I I don't think they have enough firepower to score in the playoffs. Agree. I, I, I would guess the Patriots make the Super Bowl. Just, I mean, I just don't know... The the Steelers defense is weird to me. The Joe Hayden injury yeah. statistically was a much bigger deal than people think. They they were giving up. They are giving up the most fifty uh, yard touchdowns in the NFL, and almost all of them came after Joe Hayden's injury, which I think was in Week Eight. So I didn't know Joe Hayden was this important to the defense. But you know, a lot of the shootouts that they've been in, whether that's against Brett Hundley or whatever, have been after that. You know, I was just talking to Mays on the NFL show. We expect a shootout in this game. This is going to, you know, we talk about styles make fights in boxing. Yeah. This is a style make fights thing. This is going to be maybe a classic game. I think whoever plays or doesn't play in this game is going to have a significant impact. Like they have Hayden listed as questionable. Yep. So, and our two best pass rushers, uh, Flowers and Vinoy are listed as questionable. Branch is already out. Um, Branch being out is a big deal. Our defense, our defense really right now. If, if all three of those guys are out, uh, it felt like Kenyon Drake could have run for 340 yards in that Monday night game. Every time he had the ball, I thought he was going to break one. Yeah. Well, plus we had linebackers on the outside trying to defend him on the pass plays. Uh, one of the that's things scary. That, I think the weirdest thing about this season as a Pats fan is is how they treated Malcolm Butler heading into the season and then how badly he's played. Yeah. And I don't know what the correlation is and whether – they were down on him because they saw a trend for him as a, as a player that they didn't like or whether the way they treated him put him in a tailspin. But he was getting torched in that I, Miami game. I yeah. kind of think that Butler might be the best example of an, like just a, a confidence guy the last couple of years. You know, a yeah. guy who just, he gets that that pick in the Super Bowl 
He wasn't even. I don't think he was starting that game. He was inserted because it's no. He was a good like guys. nickel he was dime a back. solid yeah. guy. He was inserted yeah. for that play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then he gets the interception. All of a sudden, he, he's got an off season. He's going to the Grammys. He's yeah. you know he's the celebrity, and he develops almost as a coincidence into one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. And so yeah. when you had that happened, the key is to just don't screw it up. Whatever he's thinking in his head, just keep it going. And then he gets into this weird off season where they're trying to trade him to new Orleans. And I think it got, I think maybe it got into his head a little bit and he said, maybe I'm not the best cornerback well, in the NFL. Even worse though, the Gilmore contract. Yeah. Right. That was, which rough. we're not even sure about at this point. I mean, and then, We're not sure yeah. of that, but then he wants yeah. Butler wants a contract. Then they're like, "Hey, we gave we gave Gilmore all this money." Million and Butler's year. like, "What the hell?" It made, I, it I made not... no sense when it happened for them to lowball Butler because I agree yeah. with what you're saying. His his confidence was at an all time high. You reward that confidence and keep it going, and he's not the same player this year. Which team are you the most afraid of, Dad? Um, Pittsburgh. To be, yeah, yeah because I think the the one thing we didn't talk about with Pittsburgh that they could just outscore the Pats. Yeah. yeah, they're also one of the few teams that knows that you have to punish Gronkowski during the game. Yeah, and it's like if you're throwing the ball to him, we're hitting him really hard, and we're mm -hmm. going low on him, or we're going high, and you're gonna have to think about it if you're sending him over the middle. Yeah. The, the only thing that losing their linebacker Shazier, yeah. who was oh, their yeah. middle linebacker. And I think gave Gronkowski a, a tough time. And would absolutely punish him. Um, yeah. Might help us. Obviously, it's not going to hurt us this weekend, but. Yeah. Uh, I, what, I, Kev, what do, what do we know about the Shazier thing? Because they've been so tight-lipped about asked it. for an update yesterday. Tomlin said he's in good spirits. Um, there's just not a lot of. I, it's so bizarre there's not in a lot 2017 of information that we have no information. physical status. And that, that worries me a little bit. Yeah. So we're. Man. So they, if if he could move his legs and feet and walk, I feel like they would have told us this. Would be my yeah, interpretation. I mean, I feel like on a lot of this stuff, I, I see it both ways because I feel like a lot of this stuff with you know this is not as similar to Kevin Everett in Buffalo, but we knew you know a couple of days after we knew that he was he was never going to walk again. So I feel like this is eleven days. Yeah, it's a holding pattern, I guess on on that. We were talking about uh, the MVP. And do you feel like Brady has had an MVP season? Well, because I I don't. If if you and I were doing this podcast two weeks ago, I would have said you said he's in the conversation. I'd, or would you have said he was an MVP? I would have said he and Wentz were probably bat, gonna going to battle out for the MVP. Yeah. His last, you know, and and they're certainly in Boston. People are worried about his Achilles, and I know Brady's downplaying the right Achilles. He's injury. rubbing it with avocados every day. Yeah. Um, whatever he's doing, the last two Pliability weeks. Pliability exercises. I mean, until the last two weeks, he looked like a 30-year-old quarterback. Now he looks like a 40-year-old quarterback. That's the problem, though. Yeah. When you're 40, is you're one hit away from all of a sudden you feel like you're 40. Yeah. But I think, I was I was telling young Kevin here yesterday, we were walking to go get a coffee, and I was saying, I think Antonio Brown's going to yeah. win the MVP because it's the best narrative. Because the narrative, we hit points sometimes when we're not sure who the MVP is, where the narrative wins the MVP. So last year in the NBA, Westbrook became the narrative, and that won him the MVP. And in retrospect, it was ludicrous. <laughs> this year, um, since there's no clear MVP, I think over the last 10 days of the season, it will turn into, 
well, why can't a wide receiver right. win the MVP? Well, well who's I, done more for their team than Antonio right. Brown? And that will become its own thing. I think Monday morning we'll know a lot more. Yeah. I yeah. think Sunday. Well, you I know think, he's going to torch us. Well, Maybe. I, don't, I, don't I mean, know. one of the things about the Steelers that should concern you guys is the Steelers are vaguely Belichick proof in the sense that Belichick's going to take away what the Steelers do best. Maybe that's Antonio Brown. He sells out to stop Antonio Brown, but then you still have Le'Veon Bell. You still have Martavis Bryant. You still have Juju. And so that should worry Patriots fans a lot. That yeah. Just the fact that how many options they have once they take Brown away. I think Belichick will, will, and he did it last year, will sell out to stop Brown and if Brown can break through that and get 150 and two touchdowns, he's the MVP. If he gets 42 yards, so you think we double him? I, I think he might. And then I think that, but that then that determines, I think, because it's a narrative award. I think that will determine whether or not he's going to be the front runner of the MVP. Come one, come, see the way the way morning. we played him. I'm going to say two years ago, early in the season, was we put Butler on him yeah. single and let him get his stats. Yeah, and they shut down Bell. Or tried to. And they were just like, all right, Brown, you're getting 11 catches for 150 yards. Right. And Butler actually played great against him. He was still making catches. But it gets back I don't know to, if he can double Brown. I'm not, I don't know. He's, I'm, he's so shifty. I know that. I'm more worried about, I I'm, I give him his stats. I'm more, Bell, if Bell has a good game, then we're done. Right. Right. And I think, I think that in a weird way, Bell and Brown have switched the places as far as significance in that offense. I think yeah. I think two years ago, Bell was the unquestioned, and, and even last year, Bell was the most talented player. Bell is averaging 3.9 yards per carry at this point. I know his his value in the passing game cannot be uh, overstated, but, I mean, I, I do, Brown is the guy. But don't can, you think he's averaging 3.9 because Roethlisberger has been so up and down this year? Teams are like, yeah. beat us. Yeah, no. They're I, almost I, giving him the Bortles. I do, I do think there's part of that, but I just feel, I mean, Antonio Brown is a transcendent player. And I, I think Sunday, I think he's going to end up being the MVP. I think they're going to double him. I think they're going to probably put a uh, safety over him. But people forget that when we did that last year, Bell went out in the first quarter. Yeah. Right. And it seems like nobody remembers that Bell was not a factor only because he wasn't playing. Uh, I think we lucked out last year. Pat's favored by three. Who do you pick? Ooh. Pat's favored by three doesn't. I, I can't understand that line. Um, it's we beat would, the Steelers all the time. I would never. That's, pick that's against, why that's. I would line. never pick against the Pats. Pats on a back-to-back -back loss potentially, which they never lose back-to-back. -back. I just hope Vinoy plays. I hope Flowers plays, um, and I hope that whatever scheme he comes up with to stop Brown, I'm willing to do that and see if Rothsberger can go with his other targets. I predict that the line will end up at Pats by two and a half. This does not feel like a three-point game. Who do you like, Hef? Patriots. Patriots, no matter three or two and a half. Gronk coming back. Yeah. I the Tiger. I I think I think Patriots three is fine. There's a chance we've seen Belichick do this a million times over the years. So sometimes he does the Milton Burrow pulls just yep. enough out to win when he has another big game coming. And in that Miami game, it seemed like they were trying to sneak by mm. Brady was getting rid of the ball over, over getting hit over and over again, which either means he's hurt or he just wanted to get through the game. And it was like, they were just kind of trying to sneak it out. Yeah. Which makes me think there's saved some stuff for this week. There was no chicanery last week. 
My favorite Joel Solomon conspiracy theory of this year was Joel that, Solomon works for the Ringer. He's a Steelers fan. Was okay. that they were going to throw this game so that Be- Be- the Patriots were going to throw this game so Belichick, we wouldn't know how he'd defend those guys in the AFC Championship That they would def- throw the Steelers game? Yeah. Oh, that's just so you never see the, the defense that was coming out in the AFC Championship game. That's probably not going to happen. Except the A... See that... <laughs> That doesn't make sense to me because we'd, we'd have... On a the, lot of levels, it doesn't yeah, make sense. and we'd have the game at home. Right. Um, Wait, hold on. We got to talk about uh, QB1 from my friend Peter Berg, the creator of Friday Night Lights. QB1 is a series that takes you inside the lives of the nation's top high school QBs. The true story of high school football in America, like Jack Fromm, before he was the breakout true freshman leading Georgia to the conference championship. Is he good? You watch college football. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Uh, He was one of the greatest high school quarterbacks in Georgia history. QB1 takes you inside his journey to start him, follow Jake along with Tate Martell and Tavon Bowers as they tackle the most important season of their lives on and off the field. The true story of high school football in America told through the eyes of the nation's top QBs. Watch QB1. Every episode streaming online, go to go90.show slash BS. So Kevin grew up in Orlando. You can say you, you... Finally, have met somebody who grew up in Orlando. I, I I worry for somebody who grows up in Orlando. What football team do they root for? No pro team. Okay. The, the city of Orlando. That's, that's goes like being with... neglected. <laughs> tell <laughs> tell my dad the story of how we met. Oh, it, we were in. I I was at the Jacksonville Super Bowl as a fan. Pat's, and, Pat's Eagles. And we were we happened to be in the Patriots hotel. And Bill, I was. I don't even remember how old, 15, 16 years old. And uh, and I, I was in the lobby and I saw Bill Simmons, who was my favorite writer on the planet. And I stopped him and he was extremely nice. Oh, I, He asked for my name. I didn't know that story. We met, met young Kevin. I had no recollection of it, obviously, all these years later. You don't? What? What? <laughs> what? Were you sober? It was, it was pretty I'm sure it was afternoon. early in the night. It was oh. like 8.30, probably okay. something like that. I wouldn't have been out that late. I was in high school. It was with my mom. Yeah. You're right. Then I saw him later at four in the morning at the Maxim party. And I'm yeah, like, what's yeah, going on? Yeah. Is this kid a child actor? They weren't checking IDs. <laughs> but so he's a tortured magic fan. Oh my. At, with, a lot, <laughs> with a lot of Dwight Howard yeah, uh, things it, to work through. I will say that among my hundred bad memories was that one year that Orlando beat us in the in playoffs. In game seven. Yeah. Yep. In, in 09. Yeah. Yep. And yep. that was... Uh, that was a top 10 Orlando moment. It yeah. really was. It might have even been top like five or six. It was, it, it was inc- we just but draining threes. So it's a top 10 Orlando moment. It's probably my 132nd worst Boston <laughs> wow. memory. Didn't we also <laughs> shut down the Boston Garden? Didn't the Magic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we have... we have. A, a, I went to... We both went we to were that there. game. We were there. We, yeah. the, the thing about that one is we gave them kind of a... It was a little scare, the early yeah. Shaq Penny teams. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that that that... Game in Boston was amazing. I mean, just well, raining threes. My memory was Garnett didn't play though, right? Right, he was, he out, was out that entire season. I mean, really, Bill, Bill brings this up. Well, quite I would a bit, bring it actually. up immediately. Well, you know, okay, Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin still feels like the 2009 Finals against the Lakers. There's like two plays that oh, flip the winner. Well, there were, there were, there were. It's it's actually a really good corner, and I and I subscribe so, to ga- it because I hate one, the Lakers. Game one was a sunk cost. Throw it out, Lakers yeah. win. Game two, Courtney Lee misses the layup. Misses the alley-oop play. They lose in overtime. You would have won game two in LA and had three, four, five in Orlando. We won game three. Yeah. Handily. Game four. You're up three. Up three. We do a number of things. 15 seconds left. Including Dwight Howard 
misses two free throws. Right. That would have put then you at five. We don't foul Derek Fisher, who then hits a three. Not only does he hit a three, but he's he's going up the court, I think. And Jameer yeah. Nelson's playing 17 feet Jameer off Nelson him. Nelson should not have been in the series. Right. And he was hurt. He's been hurt since January. And they decided, and he starts practicing. They said it was always the, like the well, if they get deep into the playoffs, maybe. So he starts randomly practicing in June, and yeah. we insert him. I think in the second quarter of Game One of the finals, we had a nice little anti point guard thing because Ray Ferralston was playing, and so the point was to just ignore Ray Ferralston. So Hito Turkoglu was handling the ball. Richard Lewis he, was handling and he handled the ball. It great. Yeah. Ray Ferralston loved being ignored. He completely <laughs> right. insane. And Ray so, Ferralston. And so there were. Points of, of of the the early series where Hito was just playing point guard and it was a great matchup forward, problem. Yeah, it, it was exactly what the modern NBA is, has become, where it's just like we're just draining threes. We we don't care about traditional positions. Who took more PEDs, the 09 Magic or or Drago and Rocky Four? Or if the, you had the, to guess, the Bash Brother. I'm A's. giving you Drago <laughs> against the field. <laughs> there is some there's some uh, there's some issues. Some there. questions. There's some issues there. But the, the 09 Magic, they, there's three games in the first four. That they should have won. And everyone so badly wanted the Kobe Bryant was awesome finals. And he really wasn't awesome. Well, that awesome. was also the year of the... He wasn't that good in that the finals. That was the year of the Kobe-LeBron uh, yeah, puppet yeah, yeah. commercial. It's, oh, Kobe. And then even in game when they had the clincher, he took a ton of shots and he could never yeah. totally get going. It's, oh, Kobe, he's laying it down. It's like, no, he's not. It was terrible. The, the, this series could totally be 2-2 or 3-1 Orlando. It was terrible. Well, Man. you know, it's kind of funny. Derek, Derek Fisher plays a role in that 0-9 series. And then a year later, you and I are at Game Seven, uh, Staples Center. Yeah, Celtics that look was like they're going to win. Well, Perkins gets hurt in Game Six. Yeah, but Derek Fisher made a huge three in the last two minutes of that game. So did our test, which is the one oh, I'll never yeah. get over. Yeah, because the ball goes around to our test with like a minute left, and it was right. They've gotten an offensive rebound because Gazal was just going over everyone's back right. for offensive rebounds. But then they the ball swings to our test. Everyone in the crowd, you can vouch for this. All the Laker fans are like, no! Right. And he starts firing up a terrible three and it goes in. Yeah. And it was like, all right, we're not destined to win I this. Didn't, that's certainly on my list of worst 12 sports moments. But we, not, didn't, we didn't love that team. That was a frustrating team. I, I don't feel like that was one of my... I, I like that team. I didn't love it. Doc but, Rivers was so frustrating. Yeah, and, but it was uh, hard though because I think we disliked the Lakers. Right. We, we, it was almost as, like losing the Lakers was worse than... yeah. yeah. Winning. I feel very badly though for Kevin because I'm thinking of like my hundred worst sports moments, and this all of his sports you now. frustrations are focused on the '09 Orlando. It's basketball all piled into well, yeah. and then some Dwight Howard. As, well, yeah, Dwight Howard leaving. I think therapy would help. The 2010 Magic were equally frustrating. The ones that <laughs> oh, lost that's right, to the with Celtics. Vince Carter. Yeah, I mean that was. Do that you was think Vince hard. Carter's a Hall of Famer? No, no. Yeah. He's, I'm saying something. He's not going in as a magic. He's wrapping around, putting <laughs> he was around the, the magic. He was the last chess piece. Vince Carter. We got Vin, Vince Sanity. We also got Ryan Anderson in that trade, which he, he ended up being the best player in that trade. God. Yeah, there's no way you should have lost in 2010. No. That was Dwight complicated career. I mean, you, you got, he's one of those guys that, and we're so stat obsessed now with NBA and everybody breaks down all these different things. And it's like, you look at Dwight Howard and, and there's a statistical case that there is no question. He is the best center since Shaq. It's a, you, it's an unassailable statistical case. And yet we were all there and it's like, would you, would you want Would you want a Dwight Howard for those 12 years? Well, look at how many know. teams he's been on. Yeah. And, and how many teams were happy to get rid of him? Yeah. 
And then like the way he handled the Orlando exit when he changed his mind and then he wanted to stay and he just was one of the most immature superstars I think we've had in the league. But you've had, we were, what was our joke about, uh, who was the, who was the net? We were talking about the perfect, oh, it was Lonzo. You ended up not getting him. We were saying how oh, Lonzo right. would have been the perfect, the perfect magic. guy who would have gone to the Lakers and leave. Within four years. Because yeah, that's got, like the magic history is we get these choice draft picks and then they leave us. I mean, they've had some incredible, one thing I will say about being a magic fan is, you know, it, it, it's a small town. I lived a mile and a half from the arena and I did get to see a lot of amazing players through yeah. my, you know, Shaq, Penny, Grant Hill, Trace McGrady. I mean, mm. you know, it, it hasn't been, it's not the bucks here, you know? Well, you, the Grant Hill T-Mac combo. Yeah. I think should have, that could have played out 19 different ways and, Scenario 19, worst case scenario is how it played yeah. out, where he just gets hurt immediately. Right. And then they get frustrated with T Mac and give him away in a shitty trade. And then that's it. You have neither. But that was one of the, that, this whole super team thing, that was a super team situation. And they, and they could have gotten Tim Duncan. Yeah. Which is everyone mind. loves this the Greg Popovich thing. I, I, I like Greg Popovich, but. There's an there's a story that, that that is told about Tim Duncan that he was ready to sign with Orlando, and Pop called him and said, "Tim, you don't want to go to Orlando. It's a cultural wasteland there." What, like San Antonio. That's what I said. France? It's like wait, wait a second here. This is in Paris, 1924. Here, it's San. I've been to the Riverwalk. Pop definitely Jedi mind tricked him. I was in San Antonio once. We had to go to Toby Keith's Steakhouse once. That's San where Antonio I was. San Antonio's a, a rough hang. Orlando, you got you got some decent restaurants. So you've been to Orlando. Oh, before we go, Kevin raised this question in Slack. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis, good hang or bad hang? What? <laughs> 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 Do you think he would be a would Daniel Day Lewis be a fun guy to ha- to hang out with and have a dinner with? Oh, uh, he wouldn't be on my list now. But can I give you some some caveats? Okay. <laughs> Irish. Yeah. Irish people are fun. Irish I'm 25% Irish. I get to say that. Yeah. Uh, I'm Irish. Maybe be like, oh, I'll have a, I'll have a McCallan. Yeah. Or, and he might have put a couple in him, start telling acting stories. Yeah. Or it might just be completely serious and just a rough hang. So Jason Concepcion, who with me innovated the, the tough hang gimmick here it's to me it's one of the one of the best untapped ringer gimmicks that we have we're doing it it's happening good hang it's or gonna, tough hang it's gonna happen with jason and i me jason i love it jason curtis uh, jason brian curtis and i were on a porch for uh, over there uh, in the commissary for 30 minutes just going through rock tough hangs so like the eagles who in the eagles is a tough hang oh henley i think henley, is the henley worst hang of the worst all time hang. yeah we had we had a very long discussion that will one day be made public but Jason Fry, great hang. Yeah. So Jason's <laughs> caveat here is: wouldn't it depend with Daniel Day Lewis what role he was preparing for? Oh, so like, so if he's pre, a, coming to be Abe Lincoln, Lincoln, yeah, his rough hang. Pre Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York, rough hang. But you know, I mean, there, there's certain this this dressmaker movie, Phantom Thread. Maybe he's an interesting hang because he gets so into it. You got to see the movie. I'm going to say bad hang before I was preparing for <laughs> the guy in Phantom Threads like a lunatic. Great hang or tough hang is I'm greenlighting that. Let's 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 streamline it for 2018. I think it's one of our best ideas. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's it is has endless possibilities. 
Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, great hang or bad hang? Great hang. Okay. Great hang. Tom Brady? Uh... I, 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 this is an interesting one. Seems like a bad hang. Everyone who's hung with them says good hang. I, I think if Edelman likes to hang out with Brady, he's probably a good hang. Yeah, yeah, I mean, put it this way. If you're going to the Kentucky Derby every year, you're a good hang. Yeah. If that's like one of your rituals, because I think the Kentucky Derby is probably the most fun thing to go to. Well, the other element you could throw in, good hang by himself Bad hang if he brings his wife along. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. The Giselle shots. <laughs> my dad's still mad at some of the oh the post-Giant post, Super Bowl. Post-Giant Super Bowl. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I the, get it. She, yeah. We're not sure she represents our beloved five-time champion, New England Patriots, exactly. well all the time. Right. Well, that could be a whole other gimmick. Don't start storylines. No spouses should start storylines with our beloved five-time champs. But you could you could extend your good hang bad hang into if if he brought his wife along or she brought her husband along. Right. Yeah. The the couple's date angle is really interesting. Belichick yeah. good hang or bad hang? Oh, by himself good hang. <laughs> if he brings <laughs> if he brings Linda Holiday, I'm, I don't want to be in the room. Wow, this these are the a- hottest takes. <laughs> I feel like we have a third permanent cast member of Tough Hang here. Right? <laughs> Kevin Clark, what do you what would you write today? I wrote about the the funny the best playoff scenarios humanly possible. Okay, thanks for coming on. Oh, and we forgot about Slow News Day every Wednesday. Every Wednesday it comes up, including Guillermo next week. from JKL was on. Guillermo from Jimmy Kimmel Live, who thought the name of the show was Fake News Day. Yeah, which maybe it should be. And then uh, Ringer NFL show Tuesdays and Fridays. NFL show coming right. later today. Thanks for coming on. Anytime. Uh, we're going to call Kevin O'Connor, but first, Jalen and I once wore ugly Christmas sweaters on NBA Countdown on Christmas Day 2012. It was so hard to find a good one. If you want bragging rights for the most talked about sweater, your Christmas parties, listen up. Tipsy Elves has hundreds of Christmas sweater designs that are nothing like you've seen before. Check out their all new 2017 sweater collection. You won't find them anywhere else. Tipsy Elves are all about fun, serious, on quality and construction. For men, three-piece Christmas suits, interactive sweaters, hilarious holiday tees. For women, holiday leggings, sweater dresses, cozy adult onesies. Um, right now, and you do it fast, my listeners get 20% off tipsyelves.com and use my code BS at checkout. 20% off anything you order on the site. Shop now. Shop right now. You'll have it in time for your ugly Christmas sweater party or even for Christmas itself. Go to tipsyelves.com. Tipsy E. E-L-V-E-S dot com. Enter my code BS at checkout to get 20% site-wide discount. All right, on the line right now, the Ringer's Kevin O'Connor wrote an awesome piece this week about Victor Oladipo, one of the hosts of the Ringer NBA podcast, Ringer NBA show, and uh, still in Boston, unlike my dad, who's here in LA. But um, let's talk about the Oladipo thing first, because I think the fascinating thing about that trade, and I thought it was a terrible trade. I know my dad was upset about it because we didn't get Paul George, but um, Oladipo had already been transforming his body, which you laid out in that piece. And even before the Pacers made that trade, he had turned himself into an athletic specimen and he was already a really good athlete. Do you think Indiana knew that he had transformed his body that way and that was one of the reasons they made the trade? 
you know, I, I think that's kind of what got overlooked. And I do think they must have had at least some idea of what he was doing that summer because he went to the extreme. I mean, as a story detail, not just his body, but the steps he took with improving his game, there must have been some hint that a leap was coming. Right. Um, but but at the same time, like I feel like looking back at that, I mean, I was dead wrong about that deal as it happened. As like a ton of people were, and, yeah. and I think the situation was overlooked too. Like it goes beyond the body changes and 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 the changes he made to his game. Like he got into a great a great situation as well. I think people overlook more than anything else in sports um, situations when they think about assets and with trades. And I wrote about. You know, I wrote a big Westbrook piece last spring and in that piece was talking about how bad Westbrook was for Oladipo and how it was such a dangerous part of his MVP case where Oladipo is basically just standing there and he's completely useless on most Westbrook plays. And then occasionally Westbrook would be like, okay, now it's your turn to make a play and would throw him the ball. And now Oladipo had to do something and the, the one time he gets the ball... And he was just used so poorly. And then Sabonis, who you and I both liked in college and my dad liked too, gets recast as this stretch four when he's a center. And, you know, I think Pritchard should get a lot of credit. And I certainly wasn't giving him last summer for at least looking at those two guys and being like, I think in a different offense, I think these guys might be assets. But the Oladipo part of him transforming his body um, Man, I, I mean, I guess we have to, I guess GMs really have to start looking at this stuff April, May, <laughs> June and being like, man, who, who's taking basketball seriously? Um, the Paul George thing, though, is fascinating to me because if the Celtics get Paul George, which they thought they would, dad, um, we don't have Kyrie Irving. Right. Who and at, and Kevin, I think you and I argued about this on my podcast. And I was saying I had, I ranked it Kyrie, Paul George, Jimmy Butler. And you had it ranked. What was your ranking? Paul George, Kyrie, Jimmy Butler, or Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie? I know Kyrie was first or second. I know. Jimmy oh, Kyrie Butler was first third. or second. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what, what it was. Yeah, one of the two. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, but Dad, if I told you in July we're better off with Kyrie Irving than Paul George, would you have believed it? I think I would have believed it. Yeah, yeah. I think I would have because because um, we couldn't stop Kyrie. Well, because we we needed uh, we, well. The unknown there is the Isaiah Thomas piece. Yeah. I mean, we, we certainly didn't need Kyrie Irving if we were going to keep Isaiah Thomas. So we certainly didn't forecast a trade between Boston and Cleveland. Right. Um, so it's kind of hard to go back and think about having Kyrie join us if Isaiah was still going to be there. And yet we did that trade scenarios podcast for Kyrie and... Boston was always the most logical trade of everyone who was on the table. And and the caveat was, but they'll never actually trade. These guys are competing for a title. Right. And then they actually made the trade. And, you know, I think you need so much luck with this stuff where you have, like, you look at the Celtics, Danny Ainge looks like a genius right now because the Kyrie trade was amazing. The Tatum trade's amazing. Um, the KG trade was great. The Rondo trade was great. He's made all these great trades, but then... There are all these what ifs, right? Kevin, like they almost traded two first round picks for Robert Swift. One or Al Jefferson. Almost, and traded, a, what, almost traded four for the pick used on Frank Kaminsky for just, they wanted Justice Winslow. Right. That's, that's another, with that one. that's a classic sliding doors. Justice Winslow, who I like, 
First of all, it would have been the wrong guy because they Porzingis would have been there at number four and they would have taken Justice Winslow over Porzingis and they were ready oh, to do if it. They went all the way up to three. If they went all the way up to three or four, you mean? I, I meant the, the ninth pick when he was slipping to Charlotte and Charlotte took Frank oh, Kaminsky yeah, yeah. instead. But yeah. there were two versions of that trade because initially they were trying to get to four and the Knicks were going to move back to nine. And if they had gotten mm-hmm. four, they were going to take Winslow. And if they had taken Winslow over Porzingis, Danny wouldn't have a job right now. Right. Um, but then you look at what happened uh, with the Paul George trade. I who do who do we think they would have given up in that Paul George trade? It probably would have been the Tatum pick, or would it have been the Brooklyn pick the following year. Do we know? I don't know if we know exactly, but are we are we judging Paul George the Oklahoma City version, or are we project? Because it's like with Oladipo, you have to project him into what he would be in Boston. I think he would yes. be doing a lot more things differently there than he, than he currently is in Oklahoma city. I mean, it's like if Kyrie had went to Phoenix instead or something like that. Oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not out on Paul George at all. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking of the alternate universe in where they just end up with Paul George instead of Kyrie. And if they end up with Paul George, but keep Tatum and keep Jalen Brown and have these three, six, eight guys, but no Kyrie, it's a different team and it's not as good, but it's also a really interesting team. And I, I actually think Paul George is now undervalued with the way. Okay, Dad, how much have you watched Paul George this year? No, probably not a lot. No, I've watched him a lot and it, it gets me back to, I, I really enjoy the old Depot article, but I was also thinking what you had phrased earlier that on OKC, he was useless because he would rarely get the ball. And like you said, it was when Westbrook would give it up. And now... He reminds me a little bit what's happened with Kyrie Irving. I mean, Oladipo was playing second fiddle to Westbrook. Yeah. Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving was playing second fiddle to LeBron James. And now they're in different roles with different teams, different expectations. And in each case, they're the guy. Right. And then you see what happened with George and Carmelo Anthony joining Westbrook. Suddenly, nothing's jiving. Uh it it remind you go back to a year ago nothing was jiving with Oladipo, and it must be just impossible to play with Westbrook. I mean he wants he controls the ball so much. There's been a lot of stuff on the internet. Kevin could speak to this because he loves this stuff. He loves this stuff of Westbrook how useless he is when he doesn't have the ball. Do you yeah. ever see him changing? Like one of the things I've been the most impressed with Kyrie which I thought was in there because just from watching him in the finals and the playoffs and in person, all that stuff, but has gone to another level in the Celtics is how smart he is when he doesn't have the ball and the mm. back cuts he does with Horford and right. the way he moves. And he's always involved in the play, even if he doesn't have the ball and Westbrook's the opposite. Is it too many bad habits at this point, Kevin, or is it fixable? I think it's a long list of bad habits. And, and and the one thing I've read online is, you know, maybe maybe Westbrook hasn't been kind of pushed to play off ball. It's like, no, of course he's been asked to play off ball. He's been asked by all his coaches. And I'm sure it's been pushed by trainers as well. It's something that ultimately, from what I understand, is like I think he needs to 
really commit to doing that. You look at the numbers with you look at the the film with how other point guards screen off ball, how they move off ball to really make themselves open to get themselves open. And Westbrook just kind of stands around between the three point line and the half court, really doing absolutely nothing. He's not necessarily a threat out there at all. And right. and, and that's where it hurts the rest of the team. It's a domino effect. So like you mentioned earlier with Oladipo, where they just throw the ball to him. And that's it. Well, the well the floor is not spaced in Oklahoma City because they were playing two bigs last year. Floor is not spaced because they have Robertson and, and Westbrook really aren't much of threats off ball. So it's like the situation can be so much better if it all starts with Westbrook really committing off ball. If he makes himself just as much of a threat off ball as he as he is with on ball, I, I think – he really elevates his game to a whole new level, more so than he already is, because he is great, right? Like, that's, I mean, we knock him a lot, but he is a great player. But and I think because of his greatness, it's not unfair to ask for more from him because it's there. It's so it, there's so much room to improve off ball. He's certainly he's certainly one of the most interesting NBA stars of my lifetime in that his strengths are so strong and his weaknesses are so weak, and it's just this package of. You know, on the one hand, he plays with this ferocity and he's he's just an unbelievable competitor. And then on the other hand, he just checks out during plays and he's doing both things at the same time. He He's chasing stats, which is my least favorite thing that any NBA player can do. I don't think, I just don't think, I think if you care about your stats more than what the result of the game is, that's insane. Um, but on the other hand, he's such a competitor. He's so relentless. He never stops. And it's just this constant balance of, I don't like this, but I like this. I, I, I wouldn't want to play with him, but yet he gives you a better chance to win than almost anyone in the league. And you're just going back and forth all the time on him. I personally would, would not want to play with him. I would much rather play with 10 other point guards, but I can also see the case for wanting to play with him. Well, would you, you want to play with him, Dad? Well, if you watch Carmelo and Paul George's body language when they're out on the court, I don't think they want to play with him. I, no. think, I think they're good friends, I guess. Yeah. And they like them off the court, but uh, I don't think they're enjoying their experience in OKC. Is Carmelo salvageable, KOC? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'm not giving up on Carmelo yet. I, I'm I'm not. I, I realize I might die on this hill alone. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still I, on I still there. Think t- t- you are? Okay. I feel I'm, like I'm, I'm, I'm on there, but I feel like I'm alone. No, I'm on there, but I'm out of supplies. I'm walking down the hill right now. <laughs> My dad's walking down the hill. I'm on, I'm on the hill. Just, I have no supplies left. Yeah. Team USA Carmelo, right? Olympics Mellow still gives me hope where if this Oklahoma City situation can get right, I mean, whether it's this season or these guys hang around for you know another season, if it gets right, I just see Carmelo in a situation where he's getting more open shots, more easy shots than he ever did if that move if that ball gets moving. But you don't, I don't you know don't if it expect, will. I don't know if it can. You don't expect Paul George to be there next year, do you? I don't. I don't no, think there's I any way. No. So now and you now you're left so with either. Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony? Well here if, if Carmelo stays even. Even, yeah. They have one chance, OKC, to salvage this over the next month. And it's gonna come down to Westbrook just playing better. It's I I hate to just be, you know, boring about it, but he's not playing well. He's not playing well offensively. Um, and and it's either they have to go all in with last year's model and just be like, this is your team, shoot 30 times a game, everyone else will stand around. Or he has to play better as a, as a facilitator slash whatever. But right now they're in no man's land. And 
the the real part, which I wrote about last week, and I suggested a Steven Adams trade that made all the OKC fans mad, but they they're they're like twenty what is it twenty four million dollar luxury tax bill they're looking at, and that team has shown yeah. no history of spending that kind of money, so I can't imagine they're not going to trade Paul George if if in seven eight weeks they're still a five hundred team with no chance to win the title they're not going to beat the Warriors they're not going to beat the Rockets the Rockets are gonna, would blow them off the court, so why would you keep Paul George he's not going to stay right. So I think they have to trade him. And I, I think that's a way bigger story than people are giving it credit for right now. That guy's not going to be on the OKC in two months. What do you think, KFC? I, I think, I think you know, before, you know, it comes to that point where, like, you know, you're thinking about seriously trading George, someone needs to get through to Westbrook. And I don't know if it's possible, but I, I don't know if Billy Donovan hasn't been able to do it, if other coaches haven't been able to do it, but there, there, someone needs to get through to Westbrook that if you are better off ball, it yeah. helps you. It helps your team, yeah. right? I think it helps everything on that roster. It helps Billy Donovan be able to really, I think, install the the ball movement type of system he wants. There's like there's little glimpses of it. We see certain sets they run uh, of when they move the ball, but there's nothing consistent. Like if Westbrook commits to really evolving, everything changes. I mean, we're talking about Oklahoma City maybe trading George right now in mid mid December. But a month from now or a month and a half from now, right before the eve of the trade deadline, things could look different than it. It just it, it does need to start with Westbrook, just like it needs to start with the star player on every team. LeBron set the tone for the Cavaliers once he started defending. Everybody yeah. else really started hustling, playing hard on that end of the floor. If Westbrook commits, I think everything else starts to fall in line behind him because there, there is talent on that team. Do you think Paul do you think Paul George is good enough to be the facilitator for them on offense? for most of the time with Westbrook playing off the ball in a scenario where they could actually compete with Houston and Golden State in a playoff series? I think those teams are on another level, so no, but I think he can bring them a lot closer. I, I think I too. they can close the gap significantly. Yeah. I the, the reality is they're screwed because Houston, <laughs> you called it. Credit to Kevin. Um, he was saying he thought, oh, he thought if... Chris Paul was healthy. Houston was going to be unstoppable for a lot of different reasons, but mainly because at some point Harden or Paul are on the court for 48 minutes. They always have a world-class point guard and it's like, nobody's going to be able to, you're not going to be able to keep up with that for 48 minutes. They're better than I thought. I'm not positive. Chris Paul can stay healthy. Have have you've watched Houston dad? I, I've watched them. I think they could actually beat golden state. I it, really do. I think they're, I think they're in the conversation now. I'd be really hesitant, though. It's only December, and Chris Paul has at least two more injuries coming up well, between now and May. It's year 13 for him. Yeah. But I think the ceiling of that team and what it would have to take to beat a team that's as loaded as Golden State, it's going to take, it's going to be math. It's going to be a team that shoots 45 threes and makes between 18 to 20 of them four times in a seven game series. Right, Kevin? I think it's like Maury said last year. It's exactly that, where the the variance of their shooting, you know, gives them a chance at those super teams like the Warriors. So I think you know the fact that you have two superstars now, yeah, that helps as well. But the, their three point shooting, the high variance of that is what I think really gives them a chance. And if you play it out, if you play out a seven game series and they're at full strength, Harden will have one game that he wins by himself, right? So you need three yep. other games where everybody just makes shots. And I'll tell you. Their crunch time, 
their crunch time lineup is a lineup that makes sense to me. Whereas I look at OKC's lineup and, eh, you know, it's like Robertson's out there and Adams, two guys who are complete non-threats. When we, when the Celts played them, dad, you wanted Robertson to shoot every time. We, we, please shoot. We're, we're leaving wide open. Please take one. And there was a point at the end of that game where Robinson took the three from the corner and he made it. Yeah. But it was, we were all shocked that he made it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we still pulled the game out, but I, I'm, I just don't think, I don't see George being there after the trade deadline. Um, I think that that team is going to readjust. I don't know where he'll go though, because any team taking George at the trade deadline probably in the back of their mind is thinking we're, it, this is a pure rental. This this guy knows where he's going next year. KSC, what can they get for him? What's a realistic trade uh, that would keep them competitive this year, but also make sense if for the team that acquires Paul George? You know, I was just thinking about that. I talked about this recently with someone on Twitter where it's like, if you're Oklahoma City and there are no bidders because no everybody's worried that he's not going to stay and he's just a rental, I don't know if it. I don't know if the if the benefit of trading him outweighs the risk of losing him. Like you, you might be better off just waiting it out, right? So maybe yeah. there's nothing. But if you're able to create a little bidding war, maybe maybe a team like the Lakers gets worried and they offer something of value to get him before the deadline instead of risk instead of risking him going to another team for a cheap price and then losing out on him in free agency. Maybe there's a way for Sam Presti to create leverage. Um, by kind of go, going to other teams, maybe, maybe George, maybe George would be willing to resign in the right situation, right? Maybe there's a team in the East that he would be willing to resign with, but you need to create that leverage to, um, I think, get good value back. Otherwise, I think if you're Oklahoma City, you got to give it till April unless you get something of value, because there's still a chance in those latter two months of the season that's when things start to click, right? I think everybody thought this team was going to take a while but maybe it takes a little bit longer than expected. So I think, I think you need to get something of significant value back still. I wonder if they do a trade, I think it's almost entirely financial. So he's making, he's, That's I fair. can't remember, I can't remember exactly how much he's making, but I think it's over. I think it's like 22, some 20. It's somewhere in that range. I, I believe it's, I want to say it's like, 18, 19 right now. Maybe that's what that's what it is. Adams makes 22 next year, though. Right. Yeah. So he's Adams making makes 22. Paul George is 19.5. Right. So if they're doing a trade, it, it has to be a luxury tax deal. And it has to be something where they're getting, they're sending him to a team that has a ton of cap space that can absorb the trade and only send back like $7 million worth of guys. And there's really no teams out there that are like that. Like Philly would have been. I think a candidate, right? But then they did that Covington extension, which which kind of slaughtered their cap space. So now you're looking at teams like well, Dallas has cap space. I think uh, there's one other team that oh Chicago has cap space. Like you're looking at teams like that. But why would why would Paul George ever resign with a team like that? I I think they're kind of stuck with this roster unless there's some sort of more imaginative deal that I'm missing. I mean, that's going to be the difficult part. I mean, they, they might just be stuck where they just have to ride this out and see what happens. Well, and that's why I thought maybe Adams is the move. If you just want to save $24 million, um, you, tough, you dump Adams. But for, if, if you're OKC and you you think there's no chance George is going to resign with you and you dump Adams just 
right now to save some money. A year from now, you have no George and you have no Adams. So I'm not sure they're exactly. going to make that move. By the way, another Celtics what if was Horford was very close to signing with OKC, right? Until Durant decided he wasn't signing there. And then the Celtics get Horford. But I mean, there's a there's a lot of Boston related what ifs. Kevin, before we go, has there been uh has there been one team that, in your opinion, has vaulted into the, this team could possibly make the finals conversation? How many teams do you have in the this team could possibly make the finals conversation right now? Oh, there's three out west: Houston, Golden State, San Antonio. Really, no surprises there. And and then the East, I think it's a little bit more open than expected. Maybe, maybe I feel a little bit better about Toronto than I did before the season. The oh. way they're moving the ball in the offensive end. Dwayne Casey deserves a lot of credit, and those players, um, Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry, uh, more than anything else, those guys bought into the systematic changes. Um, I, that that's really where the team. That that's a team that I liked going into the season, but I'm I'm really really into them now just because of their change style. Interesting. So you have six teams then. Yeah, three in the East, three in the West. Nobody else. Uh, Washington, if John Wall fixes himself before the end of the season, could could move up there. But I, I'm not sure Milwaukee's quite ready yet. Definitely, I'm definitely crossing off Milwaukee. Kevin, are you worried that uh, Morris? may not be a factor for us the rest of the year. How about that weird statement he made about, you know, coming off the bench recently? It was very that, weird. That was odd. Yeah, very yeah. weird given that I think two days later uh he didn't play because of his knee injury. Yeah, it went from it it, it, it it seems like he's a good teammate, but then that the bench thing was weird and very atypical for the Brad Stevens era. It made me wonder I think isn't this the last year of his contract, or he's got he's got a, no he's got yeah. three years left, but it's a good contract. It's yeah. like six million, right. and if they if they uh, well they, they they're too late now. If they had absorbed somebody into the hey we're at eight point four, they could have packaged that together with somebody. But I think I think it is conceivable Morris could be in a in a deal. I don't think the Celtics is are finished yet. Why can't they package that with the uh, the injury settlement? Because there was a, de a deadline for that. Yeah. Uh, okay. the Decem December 8th was the last date because of rules in the CBA that would allow them to package the salary they would receive with another deal. Um, so they, like, so they like can Morris, still use example. the money. They just can't package it. They could still do one for one. So yeah. they could sign Kendrick Perkins yes. for $8 million tomorrow and then flip him for somebody who makes $10 million. Okay. But yeah. you exactly. can't. you can't package him. I actually was disappointed with how they handled that. But I do think... The ulterior motive is so, and we've never seen this before. Kevin, you better sit down. This is very exciting. The okay. Celtics, $8.4 million. Once we get into the buyout stage post trade deadline, which is today, isn't it? The no, no, this is like, I'm saying after the trade deadline, oh, when it's like, if you oh, didn't get oh, traded, okay. you're stuck on your team. Right. That's usually when guys get bought out. Okay. They could offer anyone 8.4 million. Right. So it could be, I'm trying to think of who's, who's a veteran on a shit team who might get bought out. Like, like the scenario would have been like if Dwayne Wade was still on the bulls and they kept until February and then the Celtics could have stepped in in February and been like, here's 8.4 million. The other interesting thing they could do is they could convince, um, a team who has somebody with two years left on their deal this year and next they could do a little chicanery, convince that team 
to buy out the guy and then promise to make up the guy's salary with the 8.4. So if it was somebody who made 8 million this year, 8 million next year, they could tell the team, just wave them, buy it, pay them for the rest of the year and then and do a buyout and then we'll make up the money and the guy will get 16 million right now instead of eight and eight. But I looked at the list and there really isn't anybody out there, but I do think they're going to get super creative with that. Who is there a favorite buyout guy potentially, Kevin? How about Greg Monroe on the Phoenix Suns uh, at the time of that deal happened? There was oh, reports and that, you know how you know, much I like Greg Monroe him or buy him out. My dad loves Greg Monroe. Yeah. He's, he's transformed into, he's, he's the guy Jaleel Okafor needs to become elevate his defense and elevate his rebounding. Cause the scoring's there for Okafor. Um, so Gr- Greg Monroe, I, I think he would be a smart candidate. Come off the bench and, you know, bruise bench, bench units. So I wonder what the legalities are of, let's say they traded Phoenix, like a good second round pick for just somebody who sucked like their 16th man. And as part of that trade, it was wink, wink, Wave Greg Monroe um, for zero dollars. Just just buy him out for zero dollars, and then we'll make it up with the eight point four. I wonder how would the league stop that? I mean, they could kind of dot the lines, but they wouldn't really be able to prove something happened, right? I can't see uh, Phoenix doing something with us. Yeah, that's true. Um, After the Isaiah thing, I think McDonough is still taking so much heat for the Isaiah trade. Yeah, yeah, that is true. But on the other hand, they have a cheap owner. And yeah. if they don't trade Monroe before the deadline, that owner is going to be like, yeah, get that guy out of here. I can see Monroe being moved. I will tell you this. If we get Monroe, my dad will be doing a victory lap at Beacon Hill. Well, just I, a very long dog walk that day. I think, just congratulations. I think we're missing one. We're missing a big guy. And uh, the Morris injury is certainly exacerbating that right now. See, I would argue what Morris is, uh, what Morris gives them and what we what we would miss if we didn't have that is that six eight type of guy who can guard LeBron. If and he's, if Greg if, Monroe doesn't, if he's healthy, but that's what I'm saying. If yeah. if we don't think he's going to be healthy this year, and we don't have that guy, right? Now we're looking at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum guarding LeBron, which right. is a disaster. Yeah, Jalen can handle it, but if he gets him in foul trouble, now we're asking a 19 year old kid to guard LeBron in a playoff series. We need the third guy, and I don't know who that is. Like I I thought it might be Trevor Booker. And then uh, Philly swiped him. But is there anyone else you like, Kevin, out there who could be that 6'8 guy? Honestly, there's there's not a lot. I, I think they have him on the roster. It's Marcus Morris. I, I think yeah. he's that guy. Um, where so we got to get his get head right. Healthy, no matter how long it takes. Or yeah. shut him down for a month and make sure that knee gets gets healthy. Maybe he needs a, a minor procedure. I mean, they said that uh, structurally the knee is fine. That was in the paper yesterday. Yeah. So, t- so you're telling them to suck it up, basically. I don't want you to mess with the Morris brothers. <laughs> I did not say suck it up. I said try to find out why the irritation is there if the knee is structurally okay, sound. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we go, uh, young Kevin is moving to Los Angeles next month. I did not know that. Do you have any advice for young Kevin's dad? Oh, because this was when I left. When I left the East Coast, you were devastated. Oh, um, I did not know you were making that move. Congratulations. Thank um, you. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It hasn't, I thought it was going to break on TMZ for three weeks, but they didn't cover it. So I'm announcing it here. <laughs> My only suggestion was uh, hopefully you'll invite your dad out to the coast a little more frequently than I get invited. Oh, 
Wow. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you're I'll, always, I'll, I'll make an effort to do that. Yeah. You're always like talking about how the dogs and how no, you can't get dog care. You're never available. It's always hard to get you out that, of here. That's just so I can feel better about myself not being invited out of here. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> KFC, what's your what's your finals pick right now? If a gun to your head, you had to pick two teams in the finals, and what the final result would be, who would you pick? Um, I, I'm I'm gonna go with Golden State still in the West. Golden State in five against. I'm gonna change from my preseason pick, which was the Celtics, and go to the Cavaliers. So Cavaliers Warriors again. Um, Ca- Warriors in five. Gordon Hayward, April 15th, over, under, he comes back. Do you go over, meaning it would be after (laughs) April 15th or under April 15th for when we see Gordon Hayward Um, in a Celtics uniform in a game? I'm going to go over as in like first round of the playoffs, something like that. Uh, Serious minutes restriction if it's the season. Okay. May 15th, over, under. 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 So you think he's back by first round of the playoffs? Yeah. If Hayward is is were to return, I think middle of the first round of the playoffs, something like that, and perhaps starts practicing in April, but then returns to the court late April, early May, something like that. So that Greg Monroe, that, Greg Monroe and Gordon Hayward, happy birthday. I, I, I like our chances if that's and a healthy Marcus Morris. <laughs> I like our chances. This is it, man. We're back. If, if those three things occur, uh, I disagree with, I, I, with Kevin O'Connell. I can see us. O'Connor. In, O'Connor. Yeah. Kevin O'Connell was the former third string Pats quarterback <laughs> way back when. I'm 70 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so you so you have us back in the finals. I do. Yeah. Wow. If those three things happen, sure. This is exciting. You made my dad's day. Kevin O'Connor, <laughs> good job this week here in the Ringer NBA show uh, early next week. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks to my dad. Thanks to SeatGeek. Don't forget, first-timers on SeatGeek, 20% off NBA tickets, code BSNBA. Thanks to Simply Safe. There's no better time to get home security then right now, right uh, for the holidays, my friends at Simply Safe giving you my listeners an incredible offer: two hundred dollars on a special security package, handpicked by me. Entry sensors, motion sensors, glass break sensors, everything you need to stop criminals from ever touching your home. Two hundred dollars off. Go to simplysafebs.com. Simply Safe with two eyes. Thanks to nephew Kyle, and uh, thanks to everybody for the at the Ringer for everything this week. Talk to you next week.